Well, good morning, Cross Point Church. All right. All right. Well, I'm excited for today. Uh, this is my first time up here doing doing this, and uh, you know, I'm thankful for the opportunity. Uh, my wife and I have been attending Cross Point. Well, I've been attending Cross Point for about four years, and uh, my wife has been here for I don't know a long time. But, um, you know, I, I'm not a pastor here. I'm not a, a deacon or an elder. And uh, some of you be wondering, you know, what am I doing up here? And uh, I'm wondering the same thing. <laughs> but uh, one thing I will tell you is, you know, when you say yes to the Lord, um, you better buckle up and get ready because you don't know what he's going to have you doing. So, uh, I want to thank all of you that have been praying for me, too. Um, it's really overwhelming. I mean, the Facebook messages, the, the calls, the texts. Uh, a, a few weeks ago, probably Sunday before last, maybe before that, uh, after the service, Sharon comes up to me and she goes, what's your favorite color? And I said, well, I don't know. I think it's blue. And she goes, okay. And she said, you're probably wondering why I'm asking. And I said, well, yeah. And she goes, um, well, I'm going to paint my nails this week, and I want to paint this nail on each hand uh, blue because it's your favorite color. So whenever I look at my nails, I'll think of you and pray for you. And so uh, I understand that's called a party nail, that, that one nail that's a different color, but uh, I'm going to call it a prayer nail. How's that? And uh, another story, I was sitting in, uh, this was two weeks ago, and I was sitting during the service, and all of a sudden I get a text message. And I look, and it's Drew. Drew's texting me. He's sitting right over there. And I open it, and uh, there's a picture message. There's a picture message, and it's me on the stage here. And it said, "Hey, man, I'll be praying for you over the next couple of weeks." And uh, all that just means so much to me. So, so thank you. Um, of all the people that have prayed for me, and you know, there's 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 no one else that I can think of more than than my parents who are here. They ventured from the North Woods. To be with us today. <laughs> you know, I, I don't think there's anybody that's prayed more and rejoiced more and, and cried more than, than my parents. And I, I'm honored they're here. I think uh, we were trying to figure out the last time they were in Milwaukee. And I think it was 10 years ago when I was a college freshman. And uh, they put me on a plane and sent me to Pensacola, Florida. Uh, so it's been quite a while since they've been here. And, and I haven't told you this before, but I'm telling you, as soon as you dropped me off at that airport and I got on that plane, I cried like a baby. <laughs> so they have spent all those years just pouring Jesus into me. And uh, that's unbelievable. You know, 27 of you know my story, but uh, about 27 years ago, my parents stepped out in faith. They were 50 years old. And they drove down to Milwaukee from their house in, in Watoma. And they met a social worker at the airport in Milwaukee. And that social worker was carrying me. And I was born in the, the inner city of Atlanta. And uh, they handed over that little bundle to my parents. And I don't think, even though I'm the youngest of seven, I don't know if they knew what they were getting into. But uh, you know what? God is good. God is good. So uh, today, what we want to do is we want to continue in this series on uh, skill for life. It's out of the book of Proverbs, and uh, so uh, we're going to be in the book of Proverbs today. 
And uh, last week, Dave's changed his sermon, and uh, he, he was going to speak on, he spoke on relationships. And I thought, oh no, he's going to take all my material, you know. But uh, today we're going to focus on friendship, uh, which is an important skill to have. You know, today, in today's world, we have the ability to connect to more people than ever before through social media. You know, we have text messages, we can send a quick message, hey, how you doing? Uh, just check up on our friends. Uh, but what I've seen is, and you've seen this too, um, you know, there's a greater emphasis on knowing what your friends had for dinner or where they went on vacation <laughs> than to actually knowing uh, what what's going on in their life. And it's so easy to do that. And I think we've been tricked into thinking that because we know what they had for dinner or where they went on vacation, uh, we are true friends. You know, I clicked on my Facebook this morning and, hey, I'm up to like 700-something friends. I'm doing pretty good. So uh, many of us, we think what's going on with our friends, but when, when sometimes we're blindsided with what happens, right? Uh, just the other day, we found out that our friend of ours who's recently married, they're, they're, now, going, they're now divorced, and we're just blindsided by this, this news, and uh, we, couldn't see, we didn't even see it coming, what was going on. And in those moments, uh, we feel guilty, and we feel disappointed, and we reflect on what kind of friend we've actually been. And uh, we're going to resolve to do better. And then life gets in the way and, you know, it just kind of goes on. And But in those moments, we have questions. And, you know, you're thinking, hey, am I spending enough time with my friends? Am I, uh, you know, why am I na- not making friends? I can't seem to keep friends. What's, what am I doing wrong? Should I be friends with so-and-so? And so de- so today, in the book of Proverbs, we want to look at some some wisdom, Uh to kind of master the skill of friendship. Now, we can't cover all those areas today, but we want to look at some principles found in the Word of God in the book of Proverbs. So uh, we're going to be there today. If you would, let's pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for, for this day, for this opportunity. Thank you for these folks that have, have, have prayed for this day. And Lord, I pray that... <laughs> I'll just get out of the way this morning, Father. I can't do this without you, but I pray that you're going you're gonna to come. And, and I only want to speak the words that, that you want me to speak this morning. So, Father, I pray that you would uh, bless this time together. In your name we pray. Amen. So, if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to the main text for today. It's going to be in Proverbs chapter 17. If you can turn that there with me. Proverbs chapter 17. And we're going to be in in verse 17. And the main text for today is, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. So the big idea today is true friendship makes it easier for both to live out the gospel. And as we talk about the gospel, you know, we've been talking about the gospel really for a couple years as a church, but for those of you that are new, the gospel in a, in a part of the gospel, is, is, the gospel is good news, right? And it's good news that Jesus did and does for us what we can't do for ourselves. And so true friendship is a type of friendship illustrated in Jesus himself that we can display only because of the grace he gives us. Uh, so this morning, I want to call the friendship, that kind of friendship uh, exhibited by, through, by Jesus Christ through us as, as gospel friendship. And we want it to serve as a reminder that the friendship that we want to talk today about true friendship 
is something that we can only, we can't do correctly if left to our own self. Uh, but with uh, God's grace working through us, we can do it. So if we look at this verse, Proverbs seventeen seventeen, one, some one thing jumps off the page right away, and we see that gospel friendship has a purpose. And I remember when I was sitting in school, you probably felt the same way at times. You know, you're thinking, oh my goodness, why do I have to learn this? Why do I have to learn math and geometry? I'm never going to use this. There's no purpose to the classes I'm, I'm taking. And uh, some of you know I work at a college. And uh, <clears throat> we, I work in college administration, and a lot of the times we're looking at enrollment numbers. And so we look for trends uh, in college enrollment. And we found that nationwide... About 30% of college freshmen don't even make it past their their freshman year. Okay, so about 30% don't go on. And then of all the people that start college, only about 29% nationally graduate. And so we did a survey of our of our students at Bryant and Stratton College. We tried to find out, you know, what was what was some of the reasoning behind that. And some of it was, you know, I just didn't see any purpose in the classes that I was taking. And so they just got bored or, or whatever, but they didn't continue on because they didn't have have a purpose. Now, uh, I want you to know that I did make it past my freshman year in college, <laughs> but uh, I did change my major to criminal justice. So in my parents' eyes, I might as well have dropped out, right? <laughs> but anyway, um, I was thinking, could it be this way in our friendships? Could it be that maybe you've dropped out of a friendship or maybe, uh, you know, you, you're in a friendship, you, you dropped out or, or somebody just, you aren't friends anymore, but maybe one of the reasons is your friendship didn't have a purpose. So us as Christians have a purpose, purpose and it's written all over scripture. In, in Luke chapter 4, we see that uh, Jesus is saying he, he must preach the good news to the kingdom of God for I was sent for this purpose. And you know, as Christians, you know, Jesus came down to earth for a purpose. He lived a sinless life for a purpose. He was raised up on a cross. He died on a cross for a purpose. He was raised for a purpose. He uh, redeems us for a purpose. And so when we are redeemed people of God, we now have a renewed purpose. We all know, our, we're familiar, many of us, with the verse Romans 8.28. And we know that all things work together for good to those that are the called according to his purpose. In the book of Ephesians, we're reminded, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things. So when a Christian has, has questions about his purpose, we can run to this book, and it can give us answers regarding that. So if you look back down at uh, Proverbs seventeen seventeen, 17, um, I want you to see right away that maybe the main purpose of friendship the ultimate purpose of friendship is maybe to help each other through adversity. You see that? Uh, so Bible scholars that study this passage seem to think that the friend that loves at all times is the same friend that becomes a brother in adversity. So maybe another way to paraphrase this passage would be a real friend loves in time of prosperity as well as adversity, but he is more than a friend in time of need. He is a brother. Do you see it now? Real friends are those who are, are, are there for you regardless of your status at the present time. Uh, the second thing I want you to see in this passage is gospel friendship, as we're calling it, loves at 
all times. Not when it's convenient or advantageous or after five years. Uh, it's at all times. And uh, when we think of all times, we see that we're called to love in good times. And it's been said that, you know, you can always tell if you have a good friend if you walk into their house with some good news and they'll rejoice with you. I want you to turn quickly over to Luke chapter 15 with me. And Luke chapter 15, of course, is the famous story of the prodigal son. You know that story. Um, and But I want to focus on the last part of the story. And there's so much in this. But I, I, I find intriguing how, how this story ends. And so if we look down toward the end of the story, uh, like in verse 25 all the way to the end, we see that the focus changes from the prodigal son to the older brother. And sometimes when we look to find the main part of a story, we look to the end, right? So I don't know if this is the main part of the story of the prodigal son, but it seems to indicate that this is a significant part of it. Um, so if we look in those last couple of verses, we see that the son has come home and they're going to throw a big party. It's a great thing. A member of the family has, has come back home, but we see the older brother seems to have a problem. And so the father comes out and he begins to, to talk with his son, you know, kind of what's the problem? And the, the, the father says to the son, you know, and if you look down at the last verse, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and now he's found. You see, Jesus ended this parable by pointing out that's a good thing to rejoice over another's success. Maybe it's because refusing to rejoice over another person's success shows up a lot of things about us, doesn't it? It shows a lot of things. Uh, for instance, maybe you choose to not to rejoice because of jealousy or, or indifference or hatred or selfishness, but we know that gospel friendship rejoices in the good times. We also know that all times includes the bad times. We're called to love in the bad times. Now, most of you are, are familiar with the story of, of Job. Uh, and so Job is, is, the whole book is just intriguing. It's intriguing to me because the whole book is this narrative uh, of, of three friends, four friends actually, going back and forth. And, and so if in the beginning of the book of Job, just in a nutshell, uh, Job's whole life was turned upside down in one day. I mean, he lost his 10 children. Uh, he lost his, his estate, basically went into bankruptcy. His servants were, were killed. His, his body was covered with boils that refused to heal. And so in one life, his life, one, one day, his life was filled with adversity. But Job had three friends. Their friends were Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And these were great friends. You know what they did? When they heard of Job's suffering, they came to Job's place and they just sat with him and grieved with him for seven days. They sat and grieved with him. And what I find amazing about this, for seven days and seven nights, they sat with Job without saying a word. I mean, do you have friends like that? If something happened to you that was just so so adverse that they would come to you and they would sit with you for seven days and seven nights without uh, saying a word. <clears throat> so finally, after seven days, Job speaks up and he says, you know, hey, I cursed the day I was born and all of that. And, and so they thought, well, we got to try to help him. So, so uh, uh, Eliphaz responds. Uh, he said, well, maybe it's because you never really understood 
you know, people's pain and maybe your agony must be due to some sin and you need to seek God's favor. And his other two friends, Bildad and Zophar, they agree, hey man, you must have committed some evil and you offended God's justice and uh, they argue that uh, you should maybe strive to, strive to uh, exhibit maybe some more blameless behavior. And so Job responds to some of these remarks and he's kind of irritated and he calls his friends worthless liars. You know, why are you telling me these things? And, and so Job begins to ponder his relationship with God and he wonders why God judges people for the actions and uh, when he can just easily alter the course of events. And Job begins to admit to himself that maybe he didn't even know himself uh, well to effectively plead his case to God. And he wishes for somebody... Uh, to mediate his case before God. I mean, does it sound to you that Job is in a crisis right here? So Job's friends, they started out right. Uh, they did what a lot of friends wouldn't do. They came and sat with them, and they were there for the t- in the time of adversity. But where did they go wrong? Where did they go wrong? If you want, you can flip to me with me to Job chapter forty-two. It's Really, the end of the, it's the last chapter in, in, in the book of Job. And we want to look at verse 7. Job 42, 7 says, And it came about after the Lord had spoken these words to Job. What words? Well, Job just, God just basically asked all these rhetorical questions uh, to Job, intending to show really how little Job knew and, and how great and powerful he was. So in verse 8, the Lord said to Eliphaz, remember, he's the first guy to speak up. My wrath is kindled against you. And your two friends, why? Because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Well, what's wrong with what they said? The main thing that was wrong with what they said is they didn't point Job to the truth about God. I I was reading a a quote today out of a book by um, Henry Newen, it's called All of Solitude, Three Meditations on the Christian Life. And he, he, he says this to say, he has this to say, when we honestly ask ourselves which person in our life means the most to us, we often find that it is those who instead of giving advice, solutions, or cures, have chosen rather to share our pain and touch our wounds with a warm and tender hand. The friend who can be silent with us in a moment of despair or confusion, who can stay with us in an hour of grief and bereavement, who can tolerate not knowing, not caring, not healing, and face with us the reality of our powerlessness, that is a friend who cares. You know, I've been really kind of immersing myself in the story of Job, and I love irony, don't you? Um, so, so there's some irony in, in this passage that I just love. If you want to look quickly with me at, at verses verse 8 and verse 10. And the ironic thing is, 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 is God tells Eliphaz that Job is going to pray for him and his two friends. <laughs> and the, the crazy thing is, Job wasn't even healed at this point, but, but God tells Job to pray for his three friends. And Eliphaz is probably thinking, you know, Job, he's the one in crisis, why would he pray for me? But there's a lesson here. There's a lesson here. And the lesson is, you can support your friends when they're going through bad times, you can bring them meals, wash their kids, clean their house, sit with them and grieve, pray for them. But if you are not pointing them to the true source of healing, what is it for? So my question today is, are you pointing them 
to the only true source of comfort? Are you pointing them to Jesus? So in our friendships, you know, there's good times and there's bad times, but what, what about those in-between times? Uh, as some of you know, I serve as an auxiliary officer in the U.S. Coast Guard, and uh, the U.S. Coast Guard here in Milwaukee has a fairly active station. Uh, we're responsible for 1,600 miles of 1,600 square miles, uh, so it goes about from Port Washington uh, down to Racine and 40 miles out into the lake. And so we conduct homeland security patrols. We uh, have been doing some border patrol lately, and of course we respond to all kinds of search and rescue opportunities. We usually have about 150 cases uh, for search and rescue cases uh, a year. And anyway, uh, the Coast Guard motto is Semper Paratus. It's Latin for always prepared. And so when trouble comes, uh, we're prepared to respond. And uh, how do we, pre- we prepare? Well, it's uh, endless training. Um, you know, weekends away from home, as Claire knows. Uh, one of the main things we do is, is I spend time with the public. And I want them to know, you know, what to do in an emergency, how to make sure they're prepared. I show them how to get in touch with the Coast Guard in an emergency. I teach them how to react. I want them to know that when adversity comes on them, when they're on Lake Michigan, I want them to know that they have access to the Coast Guard. Uh, so I have a, a graphic up here. This is actually uh, our new boat that we have. It's, it's quite fun. It's a 45-foot response boat, and uh, Claire and I were actually on that boat when our boat decided to uh, catch fire. The Coast Guard came and got us uh, on a boat exactly like that, so you're in good hands out there. <clears throat> but, you know, this is how, how friendship is. You know, we're called to be ready, and sometimes we get obsessed with, okay, am I spending enough time with so-and-so, and oh man, I'm just feeling guilty because I haven't been able to to get in touch with this person like I wanted to. But the important thing is, are we when we're spending time with them, are we cultivating our relationships? And, and are we are we getting ready for if any one of us come on adverse conditions, right? That's the purpose for it. Now, and there's not some biblical formula or command telling us how much time to spend with our friends, but we need to enough, spend enough time to prepare for adversity. So gospel friendship is semper paratus always prepared and shows up when needed the most. So as we begin to apply some of these these principles to our friendships, I, I want to just point to a couple ones that I see just reoccurring themes throughout the book of Proverbs. So if you'll flip back to the book of Proverbs uh, to verse uh, chapter 27. So if you'll go to Proverbs chapter 27 with me. We see an interesting verse here. Verse 5 says, Better is open rebuke than love that is concealed or secret. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. So these, these verses, I think, can be taken together as one proverb, and, and, and the writer of Proverbs is drawing out a distinction between how a friend loves and how an enemy would love. So a, another way to read this proverb might be, better is open rebuke because the wounds of a friend are faithful, but love that is concealed is deceitful like the kisses of an enemy. 
So if you remember back to our big idea, gospel friendship makes it easier for both to live out the gospel. And if we're going to do that, there's times when we need to encourage our friends to be gospel-centered. That might include rebuking our friends or correcting our friends. So this, this proverb is acknowledging that. But what does it mean by open rebuke? Uh, so open rebuke most likely refers to openness of heart, meaning that there's no ulterior motive. You may have a peer motive in seeing your friend correct their ways. You love your friend enough that when you correct them, you're willing to share the truth with them, even if it's hard. When you do that, you're opening up the possibility that your friend may not receive the truth. And now you're put in an uncomfortable position, and you see there's a risk to being willing to put a friendship on the line in the interest of truth. You know, incidentally, that's where... The gospel begins, you know, the gospel begins with the hard truth. And uh, that truth is that we can't, we can't help ourselves. So, you know, when we're, we're correcting our friends, you know, realize that, uh, that the gospel in itself is, is, is sometimes a hard truth. <clears throat> so what would concealed love be? Uh, concealed love, I would say, would be love that ignores reality. It's love that drowns out the truth. <clears throat> Concealed love on the surface may seem like 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 real love. And uh, <clears throat> this reminds me, this spring, I uh, for the first time, I, I like hunting. And, and, and so for the first time, I, I went turkey hunting. And uh, I didn't really know how to do it, but, uh, you know, I got the experts to teach me how. Drew and uh, and Kim... They were kind enough to, uh, went up to our, our property and turkey hunted. And uh, I was just, you know, fascinated. And I was kind of obsessed for a while. I was watching videos on YouTube of all these, these turkey hunts. And, and uh, yeah, one thing I learned about turkeys was they're the smartest dumb bird you ever saw. You know, they'll be walking across National Avenue and you almost hit them. But hunting season, when you're out in the woods, when you're waiting for them, they're gone. They're just gone. <laughs> And uh, uh, turkey hunting, I liked it because it was about, you know, concealment and it's about patience. And, and the, way you, the way we turkey hunted, I mean, there's a couple of different ways to do it. But we, uh, uh, you know, we concealed ourselves and then uh, Drew and Kim were calling them, you know, with a, with a turkey call. And the reason for that was um, we wanted the turkeys, obviously, to come for, to where we were. But turkeys are really smart. And, you know, as I watched these videos, I, I found out that turkeys, they always seem to know what's up. But there's always this overwhelming force, and you just calm and calm and calm. They'll be patient. And, and so Drew and Kim, they're, they're, they're scratching away on this call. And, and the whole reason for that is they want the, uh, the turkey, basically, to ignore the reality that, you know, something is up. And I'm up there. I'm in the tree waiting for them. And you just want to scratch them out, scratch them out, be patient. You want them to just ignore the reality that if they keep walking on this path, there's destruction coming. And so sometimes when we're that way with our friends, we're, we're, we like turkey call our friends. Our friends may be headed right for destruction, but we keep you know, saying, hey, it's going to be okay. Uh, we don't alert them to the path that they're on. And we don't correct or warn them. And then chaos and destruction is introduced into their lives. And then we realize maybe we didn't love them with the truth about the path they were heading. You see, concealed love 
is love that ignores reality and truth about one's condition. It's not love at all. Gospel friendship speaks the truth because of love. Another principle I want you to see is gospel friendship doesn't expect a rate of return. Gospel friendship doesn't expect a rate of return. So if you turn with me to to Proverbs 19, we'll see this illustrated. Proverbs 19, verses 4 and verse 7. Verse 4 says, Wealth adds many friends, but a poor man is separated from his friend. All the brothers of a poor man hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? So about 10 days ago, we became cat owners. So we got a barn cat from Donnie and Angela. Uh, By the way, I'll do free advertising. Do you still have a cat left? No? No? Okay, well, they're all gone now. So we, we became cat owners. Now, I'm, I'm not a cat person by any stretch of the imagination, but I am a, a loving husband, so we, we got a cat. <laughs> yeah. If you've seen, if you're Claire's Facebook friend, I went so far as I got him a heated house off of Amazon.com. So this cat is going to be well, well taken care of. But one thing, you know, if you're looking for a good illustration on friendship, don't, don't get a cat. <laughs> Because this cat, as long as you will entertain him and feed him and uh, do whatever he wants, he's your friend. But as soon as you stop doing that, as soon as you f- stop, you know, fulfilling his, na- his need, he's gone. He's gone. He's not interested anymore. And uh, we can ha- kind of have a consumer mentality like, like our cat when it comes to friendships, can't we? Uh, so oftentimes we get caught up in aligning our friendships or in categori- categorizing our friendships based on what we need. You know, these are my small group friends. These are my, uh, you know, Packer party friends. These are my uh, friends that make me feel more spiritual. These are my friends who will challenge me. These are my friends that won't challenge me. It's all based upon what we, what we need. And so this proverb is an observation of what happens when one friend doesn't seem to bring the same thing to the table. You see, the, the reason that the poor man's friends flee is because he probably doesn't have as much to offer them anymore. They don't have as much to offer that friendship as perhaps they do. And so do you know somebody like that? We all do. Maybe somebody poor. Maybe it's not poor in, in, in referring to money. But I'm talking about somebody who doesn't have as much to offer in your mind as you do to them. You know, maybe they aren't as educated as you, maybe they aren't as socially skilled, maybe they aren't as physically strong, maybe they're not, uh, you know, they make, don't make you look and feel awesome, you know, maybe their house is small, maybe they got too many kids, uh, well, maybe they can't afford to eat out at the places uh, that you like to eat out, maybe they're weaker emotionally, but but when in those times when we work, we have those opportunities to make friendships, uh, we can look to the gospel. We can look to Jesus Christ and we can look in the perfect example that we have found in Jesus Christ. You know, even though Jesus was perfect and we seemingly have nothing to offer him, do we? Compared to his perfection. Compared to what he brings us. But he still wants us. So, throughout this series, uh, we've been studying the book of Proverbs and uh, And uh, we've been able to see all these principles offering wisdom for life. And, you know, there is really no other more perfect illustration of friendship 
really, than, than Jesus Christ. You know, I've been kind of, you know, I've been looking at these sermon illustration books and everything, but the, the best illustration is really written all throughout the Bible and personified in Jesus Christ. I want you to think for a moment about your best friend. Think about the moment, you know, you, you cried with your best friend, how they laugh with you, how they support you, how they help pick you back uh, on your feet. Think about the times they've corrected you or rebuked you. Think about the times they've disappointed you. And you see, there's no earthly friendship that's going to be perfect no matter how close and connected you are. But, but that's okay. We know that. The, the book of Proverbs acknowledges that. But there's a better friendship than, than your best friendship here on earth will ever be. A friendship that isn't based on what, what you have to offer. It's based upon what he, Jesus Christ, offers to us. A friendship uh, where he pursues you relentlessly. And so I want to ask, are you a friend of God this morning? You see, in this room today, there's, you know, there's lots of different types of people. But if we were to break ourselves into two groups, one way to do that would be there's those of us that are, are friends of God. And there's those of us that may not be friends of God. The Bible calls them enemies, okay? So there's, there's friends of God, and then there's, well, there's those of us that haven't responded to the gospel, and so we're, we're, we're enemies of God. And for, for those uh, that are friends of God, those of us have, that have responded to, to the gospel, we realize the benefits of, of our friendship is wrapped up in, in who he is. And I want us to see something here. Turn with me to the book of John, the gospel of John, We look at the Gospel of John uh, 15, chapter 15 and verse 15. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. And so this passage seems like it'd be an invitation for us to go deeper in our relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, we don't follow Christ simply because of some chance impulse. We've been specifically chosen and summoned by him to be his friend. And his offer of friendship is truly, truly overwhelming. You know, a servant would, would never know such a relationship. A servant never receives a reason uh, for the work assigned to him. Uh, and, you know, that's it's kind of frustrating. I remember my first job. Uh, my parents, uh, my family, since my dad said 50 years ago, uh, was it 50 years ago? Uh, he bought his first nursing home. And so my family's been in healthcare, you know, for 50 years. And so they've had nursing homes and CBRFs and assisted livings and still do to this day. Uh, but my first job is I was a, a dietary program assistant. I was a dishwasher, right? <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> I remember I got my work permit. You know, I was 14, 15 years old, so I'm going to go to work. And, you know, I had to be up early in the morning and serve breakfast and, uh, you, you know, 
people that are live in retirement homes are fairly set in their ways, and so you had to deal with with all of that. And and, and you know, it, after a while, it became just a job. There was parts I enjoyed about it, but but my reward was in my paycheck, right? But what I really liked to do when I was fourteen, fifteen years old is, well, we had this uh, this great video game back then. Uh, it was called uh, Go Outside, you know. So my mom would say, uh, you know, uh, you know, I want to play. And my, and my mom would say, you know, we'll, we'll go outside. And so I learned how to do things outside at a really young age. And growing up in the in the country, you know, we were seven miles from a gas station. You, growing up out there, you just learn how to do certain things. And so, you know, one of the things you had to learn how to do was run a chainsaw. And my, my brother-in-law, so since I'm the youngest, you know, I'm... My oldest sister is going to be 55 this year. And so, you know, I'm years, many years younger than her. And so uh, their, my sister's husbands became more, were more like uncles to me, you know. Uh, and so I had this one brother-in-law, his name is Maury. And Maury is, uh, was larger than life to me. You know, Maury was really something. He was larger than life because he was a lumberjack. I mean, a true professional lumberjack. He, he made his living in the woods and he, he cut down trees, and they hauled them to the paper mill. And I, I was obsessed with with the woods. And you know, I used to go out to the woods with them when I was when I was when I was young. And uh, I, I loved being in the woods. Now it was hard work being out there in the woods, but I just loved being with him. I enjoyed the friendship that we had. And so when we're out in the woods, man, I was I was slaving away. You know, I was cutting down trees and. Uh, you know, this was against child labor laws, but I think this was before OSHA had drones and everything to spy on you. <clears throat> but uh, but I, I just loved it. And he didn't pay me a dime. But you see, the, the reward for my service was in the friendship. And so what I think this verse is saying is, 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 is not that we, we stop being servants and we become friends, but the reward for our service is that relationship that we have in Jesus Christ. You know, uh, a servant, he does the job out of duty. However, the friend of God not only serves him, but enjoys the benefits of their friendship. So... There's a second group of people like we mentioned. So my, my challenge to you that that are uh, that know the gospel, that are, are Christians, uh, that are a friend of God, is to go deeper in relationship. If you're kind of stuck in this servant attitude, uh, you know, hey, I'm just here to here to do things and serve God. Uh, this is John 15 and 15 is an invitation to go deeper in that friendship. But then there's there's those of you that are not yet a friend of, of Jesus. And like we said, the Bible calls an enemy. And you've not responded to the gospel. And I know this is a hard truth, but you're in a precarious position. And you're in need of some tough love like we talked about. Uh, you know, you have no ability to be a friend of God in and of yourselves. Um, you don't have anything to come to God with. And none of us have anything to bring to the table. And we're unable to pre- please God. But... But we have the gospel this morning. And the gospel is the good news uh, today that God wants to be your friend. He wants to take you from a, an enemy and make you his, his friend. And, you know, he's the only ability, he's the only one that has the ability to do that. 
You know, no amount of good deeds, good thoughts, uh, good actions, you know, going to church service, none of that is enough to bring to the table and say, I want to be your friend. He makes us his friend, and he wants to do that. You know, in the beginning of today's message, we learned that, that Jesus came to earth, earth for, for a purpose, right? And he died on the cross for the purpose. He, he was risen for a purpose. He, he makes enemies his friends on purpose. And so today, I want you to know that if Jesus is calling you to be his friend, why don't you respond today? And you know, there's a beautiful picture um, in, in the gospel. Uh, another parable is, you know, when uh, we in the church have a responsibility. And we can't be like the, the older brother, you know, in, in, in the, the prodigal son. We can't be, you know, sitting on the sideline. We're, we're called to rejoice when, when people respond to the gospel. We're called to rejoice when, when, when we see our friends and our, our brothers and sisters here at Crosspoint want to go deeper in, in their relationship with Jesus Christ. So two challenges this morning. It, again, if you are a child of God, if you are, have responded to the gospel, an invitation to go deeper. Move from servanthood and expand that into friendship. And then for those that do not know the gospel, God is waiting to be your friend this morning. Will you respond to him? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time together. Pray that, uh, you know, for those of us that uh, know you, that we will respond to your call for friendship. And that we'll serve you, not out of duty or or anything like that, but we'll serve you uh, because we want to know you more. We want to go deeper. Father, we also pray for those who haven't tasted of your goodness, those who, who haven't accepted the good news, that they can't become your friend of their own merit. We pray that they would accept the good news this morning, and that good news is that you want to be their friend, and you're willing to make them your friend. We thank you for the book of Proverbs this morning. Pray that you'll bless this day. In your name we pray. Amen.